0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we have returning to us from across the pond, Dr. Nancy Doyle coming to us from England. Dr. Nancy Doyle, welcome to Different Brains. Hello. What is your definition of neurodiversity at this time?
1: Um there's there's two definitions. There's a within-person definition and a between-person definition. So there's a lot of overlap in the conditions that we associate with neurodiversity. We tend to use uh, neurodiversity to represent autism spectrum conditions, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, or developmental coordination disorder, dysgraphia. Rett syndrome can often be included. Um, and, and actually, when you when you look at people's profiles those diagnoses in and of themselves are quite unreliable, you know, it's an interpretation and a, a set of behavioural presentations, but what's actually happening neurologically in the brain is, is not necessarily aligned to the label that that person has been given and there's been some very recent studies coming out of the Euro- University of Cambridge where they're comparing neuro images to diagnostic labels. And they're comparing cognitive scores to diagnostic labels and finding no correlation between the the biological reality of that human and the label they've been given. And so, you know, we have to understand we're in a a position where sands are shifting. But what does tend to be true um, and what is demonstrated with uh, cognitive profile testing and neuroimaging is that people who are, people have diversity within their brain within their cognitive abilities within their range of thinking skills there is diversity so whereas somebody who is neurotypical if you gave them a cognitive test they might score around the same for each area of the test their visual abilities are likely to be similar to their verbal similar to their memory similar to their speed of processing whereas somebody with a a condition like adhd autism uh, dyslexia is going to have large disparities like the, the, like the um, prisoners that I told you about and the, uh, of the, the students. So they've got some things that are extremely high, some things that are extremely low. So there's, there's diversity within their thinking. Um, and then there's also the diversity between each other. So people who are neurodiverse are specialists, not generalists. People who are people neurodiversity covers the idea that there is a, a natural range within human um, cognition, in the same way that there is diversity in personality, in the same way that there is diversity in in our size and our dexterity um, and our ability to withstand pain, um, and that that diversity is natural within our species. Of course, there would be differences between um, a human population. And when you think about the, the population prevalences, so, you know, around 4 which, which area of the world you're in, somewhere between 4 and 10% of the population have ADHD, around 2 to 5% of the population have autism, around 10% have dyslexia. Well, in a human population, it makes sense for that many people to be specialists in that particular area. So that hyper alert thing I was just talking about if we think, you know, between four and ten percent of the population have that hyper alertness, in, in a human community, that's great. You wouldn't want everybody that hyper alert, because it would be hectic. Everyone would be like jumping all over the place, going, oh, 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 oh. But but you want a little group of people that are that hyper alert because we're the night watchmen. We're the we we're we're the, we're the warriors. We we hear the approaching tribe before anybody else. We're we're first into battle. We're, you know, so you want some with that specialist thinking skill. Um, so, so that's the other point of positive assessment is to frame the condition around its evolutionary purpose, its its purpose in our our species. We We have this variant for a reason, and this is the reason we have it. We have it because of this skill that it brings. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And what I also find is that, I I think of it as maybe an intersection, but I count it as neurodiversity is the, because none of this occurs in isolation. You can't have ADHD without some anxiety. And then you bring in things like PTSD, and you Mm -hmm. bring in depression, and they all get mixed up together. Do you hold them separate or do you consider mental health part of neurodiversity? or How do you dissect it in your mind?
1: Um, well, I, I published a, a, some guidance for the British Psychological Society in which I included mental health um, in, in neurodiversity. Because again, it has a prevalence in our human species that would indicate that it's not that abnormal. <laughs> it, it's pretty typical for us to experience uh, anxiety and depression that those are that you know most humans will will experience that at some point in their life so we have to ask what purpose it serves um, and you know having people who are you know anxiety is a protective quality it means that you uh, hyper focus on risk depression leads to rumination and deep thinking and these are purposeful these are useful um, you know, it, it's useful to do those things. It, it's not useful to feel isolated and um, and hopeless as a result of those things. But but their their process and their their pattern is 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 completely useful. But you know, in terms of the overlap, and, and you know, a lot of people with neurodiverse conditions will experience more anxiety, more depression, PTSD. And that isn't necessarily a feature of the condition. Sometimes it is because it goes with that hypersensitivity or the hyper alertness. Um, but sometimes it, it happens because that person has been excluded. And so it's a natural response to feeling excluded from the workplace or from education or from feeling that nobody values you. And, and when it's an exclusion based um, Response well, well, that's a different matter. You know, that's no longer well. It is purposeful because what it lets you know is that you need some connection, and, and people should reach out to you, and people should start valuing you. So it tells you what you need to have happen. Um, but you know that that's where a lot of a lot of things get overlapped. I mean, I didn't have my ADHD diagnosis till I was in my thirties, um, but as a teen, I experienced anxiety, depression, eating disorders um, to the extent of. Um, needing uh, psychiatric and, and hospitalized treatment. So, um, you know, I, I honestly believe to this day, if someone had given me the right diagnosis, I would have been absolutely fine. Uh, but my, my difficulties were pathologized and I, I didn't go to school. I had a 20% attendance record in high school. I used to go on Mondays and ask my teachers what they wanted me to do. And then I would go home and do it because I could concentrate better there. Um, but I was diagnosed with school phobia. I wasn't frightened of school. I just couldn't work there. Interesting. Do you know? So so a lot of my, what I consider quite natural, normal behaviours that have allowed me to be an entrepreneur, that have allowed me to be creative, that allowed me to, to work and achieve what I want to do in life, a lot of those natural behaviours were pathologized because they simply didn't fit the, the norm. We've decided what's normal in the education system is, is to be literate, to be numerate, to be able to sit down and concentrate for hours and hours at a time to be able to be comfortable in large groups of people and to focus when there are large groups of people and to be able to be sociable with large groups of people that are very different to us. And, and if you think about those skills, anyone that can't do that is going to come through the education system feeling that they are broken and disabled and not and not having any value. But those particular skills are a little bit weird. 200 years ago, they weren't necessary. 200 years ago, if you wanted to have a career as a as a blacksmith or a farrier or um, a seamstress or a teacher, you know, you, you wouldn't have to work in that way. You wouldn't have to go through these these hoops that we have to go through. The training for, for engineering is based on work, but engineering is about building things. You know, we're, 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 the, the training is so far removed from reality, it doesn't actually reflect the workplace anymore education is is not a good reflection of the skills you need in day-to-day life um, and and that's where that pathologization comes from so the fact that I couldn't sit still and concentrate for eight eight hours at a time um, in that environment and when I'm really concentrating on my own made my behavior seem strange but really I, I don't think it's strange I don't think it's strange to, to, to not want to sit down for eight hours at a time I think it's strange that people do <laughs> actually so there you go and i I also think that this is going to change i think that we are we're in the middle of a huge transition um with technology you know so these days via the power of my, my my little phone here um i can answer emails whilst whilst being on a train whilst moving through london whilst in a taxi cab going from one meeting to another whilst in a in a in a cafe in between meetings or bookings i can get on my phone i can answer an email i can attach a file from an online storage system i don't need to be sitting at my desk to do my job anymore at all
0: well there's uh, no longer rewards for focus and long-term attention you're rewarded yeah. more if you're able to be nimble and move quickly. Yes.
1: Which may play into the hands of, of people with certain neurodiverse conditions. It's perfectly possible that in 50 years, we'll have flipped this. And and people who aren't dyslexic are going to struggle. But if you, you, know, you think about the reading and writing thing, dyslexia was discovered in 1895, which is around the same time as mainstream education became standard in um, industrial economies. And, you know, actually a pretty specialist skill you know do, we, we certainly there's no part of the brain that's responsible for reading and writing it's a complex activity based on lots and lots of different parts of the brain and you only need one or two of those to be functioning slightly differently for the skill not to be learned but reading and writing may well end up being a transition technology because we all now have uh technology as part of our day-to-day activity that will speak for us that will write for us you know, I can talk into my phone and it types what I'm saying. I can I can take a picture with, the, there's some apps that have been created lately um, where you can take a picture of anything which is written word and it will read it out for you. So it's a reading and writing might, might be unnecessary.
0: I'll take it a step further to say that if I'm a teenager today and I do not develop and rewire my brain to have some ADHD. I'm gonna be a social outcast because I have to be able to play a video game, answer a text, listen to my mother and have a phone conversation all at the same time.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. That hyper alertness is becoming the norm, but it, but we're not training that in the education system yet. And so the people that are emerging from the education system are, are very often feeling broken, worthless, uh, you know, unable to contribute, not because they can't handle modern life and modern workplaces, but because their experience has not um, trained them from that. for that.
0: Well, that's very well said. Uh, now, for our Different Brains audience, let's say I'm a neurodiverse person. I'm having trouble finding work. What do I do?
1: Okay, so this is very important, right? Nope. So many people get this wrong. The, you, what you, I tell you, what you don't do, don't apply for jobs that have been advertised. That's the last thing you do. The first thing you do is you have a think about the kind of environments you want to work in, the kind of job you want to do, and you um, you approach those company, companies speculatively. You try and get yourself um, a shadowing opportunity. You call somebody. That has a company that does something that you're interested in, and you say hi. You know, I'm really interested in becoming a welder. Um, would you mind if I came and shadowed you for for a couple of hours and just see see how it worked? And you, you you call and you call and you you network because the way employers approach employment is completely different to the way people looking for work approach it. So so I'm an employer, right? So let's say I have a vacancy. The first thing I do is I look around and see who I already have who could move into that job. All right, I might have someone who's been a temp. I might have someone who um, I can promote. I might have somebody who is part-time that I could make full-time if they wanted to. That's the first thing I do because that costs me nothing and I don't have to do much training for that, right? The second thing I do, if that doesn't fail, is I ask around, I go friends and family, I go, you know, employees, do you know anybody? Da, da, da. You know, I, I, I start thinking about people who are not currently in the company who I could bring in. And again, the reason I do that is because it costs me nothing. And if I'm getting a recommendation or somebody from a from a wider network, there's, I, I already have a sense of trust and rapport with that, potentially with that person. They, 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 I'm gonna have a sense of their values. The, sec- the third thing I do is I look to see who has approached me speculatively. So I do this, you know, I get see I get resumes sent to me all the time. Resumes all the time. And I always keep them. And I have them in different filing boxes, you know, North of England, uh, you know, uh, West Coast America, da, 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 da. I have all these, these resume files. And when I have a, a vacancy that comes up, I go to those resume files to see if there's anyone suitable in there. And the reason I go there first, again, is because it costs me nothing to do that. And if someone has sent me a resume, I know something about that person that I can't necessarily get from a a job application process. I know they want to work with us specifically, not just a job. They are interested in my company because they have taken the time to approach me speculatively. That means that they are genuinely interested in my business. It also means that they are a a proactive person. They're a self-starter. They have some sense of independence. And so that tells me something perhaps about their work ethic. The last thing I do is advertise the job. I might advertise it with an agency before I put it out in a newspaper or on 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 a website, but that's the last thing I do. When I do that, it costs me money, not just in placing the ad, but also in the time that it takes to sift through the resumes that come out, to then create the process, so that there's a statistic out there, which is that 70% of the vacancies um, available at any one time are never advertised. And it's called the hidden job market. And the way that you can leapfrog into the hidden job market is by doing work shadowing, you know, getting to know people, going out, talking to people, approaching them speculatively. You can access the hidden job market that way. And when you access the hidden job market, there's less competition and you're more likely to find the right fit. And for people with, um, people with neurodiverse conditions, people with neurodifferences, um, the work trial environment is less pressurized than an interview. It's less pressurized than an application where you have to follow all the rules and do everything right and da 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 da. So you're just having an informal chat with that person and it's gonna be easier for you to build rapport and show what you can do. They might let you have a little go, you know, oh, I'm really interested in video editing. Would you mind if I came and shadowed you for a day? And the, the trouble is with that approach is that for every 30 people you call, probably only one will say yes. So you have to be sealed for some, for some for a lot of rejection, you know?
0: And but, it's also tough it's if we're a little bit socially awkward too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So socially awkward tends to... um tends to go via the friends and family route first. You know, you wanna practice this skill. You don't wanna go straight in. If, if if you know the company you really, really wanna work for, don't jump straight in there. Go into the other companies first and do some hanging out with with people in your network. But 33% of people who use their network find work that way. 70% of people who do speculative cold calling and resume sending, uh, offering um, uh, work works work shadowing, find work that way. But only five percent of people who respond to job ads don't find work that way
0: What role has ADHD played in your life?
1: I could answer that in so many ways, so many different ways I could answer that um well it's it's two sides of a coin isn't it? You know I could tell you some stories that are not pleasant you know it wasn't pleasant being a 14 year old with anxiety and, and eating disorders. That was not fun at all um but you know what it, it, it was very pleasant getting my phd in a subject that i really believe in and it, it, it's very pleasant working with people who have significant barriers in their life and being able to relate to those people and, and say i know where you're coming from and um and, and feeling authentic in the advice that i'm giving and the support that i'm offering because i've developed my own journey and i i know you know i that that's that's very useful, and I, I enjoy that connection and that sense of authenticity and integrity. So so that works for me, you know? And, and I, I also, I studied full-time, I worked full-time. Um, I, I've achieved a lot, you know? I, I've done a lot of things, and and I- Yes,
0: but Nancy, <laughs> but Nancy, what do you wanna be when you grow up? A cat. <laughs> You have done it all, and it's uh, and thank you so much for sharing it with. Us. I mean, you know, to be everything, to be a mom, to be do all help all the people you've helped, and do everything. And this is something why I I call mothers like you in my Asper Tools book angels with a pit bull mentality because you won't give up and you're in there pitching and you're helping a lot of people and you're going a mile a minute
1: my well, I've, got, I've got an employee who says I'm like a mama bear because um you know I, I uh, so when I've got when I've got an employee who's who's struggling in performing I'm kind of you know I'm totally love you know totally coach got a coaching approach to that employee but but the second something happens where one of my clients is negatively affected, one of our end user clients is negatively affected by a piece of work that didn't go so well, she says, then you turn into a mama bear. She says, wow. you know, na- don't ever upset our clients because Nancy is the mama bear when that happens, you know, and it, it, it's true, you know, I do. I do.
0: Is there anything we at differentbrains.org can do to help you achieve all of your worthy goals?
1: You know, I think there probably is. And maybe we should continue this conversation. Um, I think there needs to be uh, an awareness of what's available in the USA. So I feel like in the in the USA that that there's an awakening happening in in employment, in human resources, strategic human resources. And but there's a lack of awareness as to how to make it work. You know, like we can also at, at I went to a, an international labor organization meeting in Washington, D.C. in, in 2016. And, you know, the, the CEO of Tommy Hilfiger was there and a, a C-level executive from Boeing was there. And, you know, lots of AT&T were there. You know, lots of big employers were there, kind of really interested in the talent advantage of, 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 of disability inclusion. And I feel like we've won that argument. We've won the argument. People get it, there's, a, there's, a, an, there's an, a, an assumption of talent, but where we haven't done enough work yet is at the hiring manager level and at the supervisor level because the hiring managers still don't know how to accommodate anxiety, um, interpersonal skill difficulty, in standard interview processes and standard recruitment processes. The hiring managers still don't know how to make accommodations and how to give people advance notice of what will happen and to make sure that people have got a, you know, the right level of description of how to get places so that people don't arrive late and flustered and then mess up their interview um and we're still not there with the supervisors supervisors are still thinking well do i really want to employ someone with this condition because they're going to be really difficult to manage um they might be difficult to manage they might well but they might also be capable of something that none of your other employees are capable of you know i have neurodiverse staff obviously um i spent this morning in fact doing um, a three-hour meeting um, a mediation between um, two senior managers in my company, one of whom has autism, autism, is autistic, however, whichever preference you have for uh, self-identification, and and her manager. And they have gone into a spiral of misunderstanding. And I spent three hours of my time working it through, tracking it back, right, okay, what actually happened? Okay, so that had that impact on you and you started getting concerned about it, you know, working it through. And and that took me a lot of time and, and that's the kind of investment that I make and, and that's what supervisors are frightened of. Supervisors are frightened of having to do that sort of thing. But you know what? That woman, every single one of her contracts is on budget. Every single one of her contracts is on performance. It's exceeding performance. It's worth my time.
0: Well, on that note... I think Mm. that's such a positive note. Thank you so much for being with us here again, coming all the way from the United Kingdom, an hour south of London, and uh, sharing with us all that you do for those of us with different brains. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.